Welcome to the Marketing Tips for Doctors podcast, where you'll discover the secrets to attracting more patients ready to schedule their first appointments to grow your practice without spending hours and hours away from your practice or home. Hear how to boost your online presence, develop a strong rapport with each one to increase patient compliance while adding value and growing revenue. Now here's your host, Dr. Barbara Hales, America's leading medical strategist. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors. I'm your host, Dr. Barbara Hales, and today we have with us a very special guest. He is Jonathan Fowler. Dr. Fowler is the creator of the LDIS Plus Analytics Impact Framework and Aptitudes, which help companies address their biggest obstacles to data-driven culture. He is an entrepreneur, researcher, practitioner, speaker, and father to an amazing 11-year-old daughter. He founded Logical Analytics in 2020. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you. So tell me something. Tell me about the relationship of analytics and data to, you know, marketing a person's business or practice. I got my start in analytics and data science when I was actually in my humanities education at Clemson and did a lot of educational research in my master's and really figured out at that point that all, and this is true now more than ever, all data analytics work ultimately boils down to human behavior. And of course, marketing is studying human behavior and trying to, to make sure that we get the, the most out of what we put out there in, in terms of impacting behavior. And so, you know, every, every data analytics story, and they are all stories, every data analytics is storytelling. All of that is ultimately telling a story about your audience. And I mean, if we're talking about customers, patients, specs, all of that, it's all related to behaviors and preferences and less more, you know, more on the care side, we're talking about, you know, health and, and observations and, and happenings and things. But from a marketing perspective, I think data and marketing have been intertwined since marketing began, probably before data even became a big buzzword. Well, it really is so crucial because how are you going to know if your attempts at marketing are successful or you're just spinning your wheels and wasting your time and money without mm-hmm. that to back it up? Uh, there's two two clinics that I've worked with come to mind, and both of them are putting out social media stuff, right? Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, all that. And my first question to them was, well, you know, what are you getting back in terms of clicks and engagement? And do you know what the things that you put out there, are they driving foot traffic back into your clinic? And neither one of them can answer that because they were putting it out there, but they weren't actually tra- tracing what comes back. I go, why are you not doing that? Because like, that would be like me just sort of shouting into the wind and wondering if anybody's ever responding. Which is something that we were used to doing in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 
It's so right, especially nowadays when people have all tipped their toes in the water and ventured out into social media. They may not be on the right platform. They may be putting out information that is actually not of any interest to their target market. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter if you have a lot of followers. What you need are followers for people who are going to come and make use of your services. That's right. It is the, you know, if a tree falls in a forest, that old adage, because I can, you know, I have people will say, well, I have, you know, X hundred Instagram followers. So <laughs> how, how many of them are helping you reach your goal? And how many the of them? Is- yeah, I don't know, because I'm not <laughs> tracking it. And tracking is so, I mean, you know, you, you put some UTM parameters on the end of the URL and, and all of a sudden you've got. You know, the ability to say this campaign for this medium at this particular time, this is what drove traffic back to our website or orders or inquiries or that sort of thing. I'm sure that some of the data that came back were quite shocking. You know, there's a book out there. It's called Everybody Lies. And Seth Stevens... I forget his name now. I'm recovering from COVID. The brain fog is the thing that drives me nuts right now. But the the book is this sort of deep dive into what data tells us about ourselves. And reading that, some of it was interesting. Some of it was disappointing because you go, wow, I had no idea people were like this. So, you know, studying data, sometimes you get results you maybe didn't want to know. Oh, that's true. How can people get different information from the same data points? I know, is it like statistics where you can make it say anything? There, There's this great picture of, it's like a, the letter E and somebody, like it's drawn on the floor and somebody is looking at it from the side and says it's an E, somebody is looking at it or says it's a W. Somebody's looking at it from one side and says it's an E. And, you know, the caption is, well, they're both right. It's just dependent upon their perspective. And that's true to a degree. But then you go, well, okay, it was meant to be, it was written as an E and you need somebody to orient you, to tell you how to look at it. So like I, I kind of buy both of those approaches because yes, it is important to have some orientation to say, this is truth. This is the way we want to look at it. But you do have to account for everybody's different perspectives. So how that works out and how this sort of this aptitudes, the analytics personality types came into play is let's say, you know, a a company that has different divisions, sales, marketing, HR, that sort of thing. They have access to the same data for their company, but they have different priorities in how they use it. And say, you know, people that are in more of a controlling mindset, they want to use that data to enforce policies and procedures and rules and, and ways of doing things. Individuals and divisions that are more on the creative side of things, they they want to use data to help mitigate risk and explore new opportunities. They want to increase focus on external customers. How do we how do we we innovate and create? So you, know, you you have to acknowledge that there are those different types within an organization, whether it be a company, a clinic, whatever. It's just as organic as a person with multiple aspects to their own personality. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the 
one of the mistakes that we make in, in, in data work is assuming that it's this cold, hard thing that has absolute truth. And, you know, I, I, I studied going back to my early humanities education. One of the things I studied was literary theory and this notion of multiple truths and, you know, plurality. There is no single truth for what an author means in a book, for example. I never thought those two would connect like that in data. But what I'm finding is data just like language is this this sort of instrument of power. So let's take a very, very concrete example. Florida with COVID-19 cases. There was a data scientist there who worked for the Department of Health who was in charge of publishing their COVID-19 uh, public dashboard for cases. And the numbers that she was putting out there, she was told by the state government to filter and change the way she was doing things. And she disagreed. She was ultimately fired and there was a long drawn out case about that. But you know, legal issues aside, the, the foundational question was, well, whose data was right? And who's controlling the narrative here? She was painting a much darker picture of COVID-19 cases in the state than the, the governor's office preferred. And so there you have same data. You're looking at it differently. Who wields the control over the story that it tells? And so that goes back to this idea of you know, whoever wields that, that data has that, that power in their hands. So if we take that back to the question of you know, inside an organization, yes, people can see data differently. A simple filter or even even how you approach it, you know, pie chart versus a graph versus a KPI, everybody has different, different ways that numbers hit them and presentation is key. So I think we have to acknowledge that and work from there as opposed to going, well, you know, the numbers are right here. Can't you see it? Well, maybe they can't. And maybe there's a good reason they can't. Well, what are some reasons why they can't? Definitely being able to to communicate graphically is is important. It, it, it's funny. There's this. Uh, there's a book out there. It's like the five love languages. I forget the guy that did the that did it, but it's uh, it's in relationship counseling. And the, the the idea is that everybody has five. We all have five ways that we we give and receive affection. And there's like quality time, physical touch, receiving gifts, active service, and words of affirmation. We can behave, we, we can favor any of those. And that's how, say, for example, with our partner, if we communicate our affection through, through say, acts of service, but they don't really tune into that. They're more about, you know, words of affirmation or quality time. Then we can be throwing everything we have out there and our partner's just not getting it because it's not how they communicate. Same thing with communicating data. I can give you a spreadsheet and that's how I see things. And I go, and I actually, this is happening right now for a customer I'm working with. They're saying, look, everything is right here in the spreadsheet. I've explained it to you a million times. It's right here. Don't ask me to go over it again because I've given it to you. And the audience is going, I don't know what this means. I don't understand it. I need it visually. Spreadsheet person doesn't think visually. 
And so we have to figure out it really, this is a lot like relationship counseling, which is it's, it's figuring out how do people communicate? How do they read each other? And how do I make it so that this person who's, who's thinking in spreadsheet terms can communicate effectively with the person who wants to see dashboards? Same data, completely different ways of getting it. And I think in medical practices in particular, where everything is so fast paced and it's not, you know, if, if you drop something, it's not like we don't ship 50 widgets. It's somebody's health is on the line. Uh, acknowledging that and, and really addressing it is so important. So do you feel that having infographics is helpful? That right now, dashboards are a buzzword almost. And there is this, this danger of just throwing money and tech and software and tools at it and thinking that doing that will solve everything. Let's say, you know, family practice, they've been doing things their way for 50 years and, you know, they feel like, oh, wait a minute, Everybody else is doing analytics. We need to get on that train. And they well, let's just buy this, throw up some monitors around the office and, and do this. They're not really going to get anywhere because it's just the tail's wagging the dog. Mm-hmm. It is, let's just put some lipstick on it and make some nice dashboards and, and go with it. But there's no, no thought around, well, what do we need? What's important to different audiences here internally? know what data is important and how do we want how do we want to communicate it because it could be that that is trash and there's an old adage garbage in garbage out which happens a lot so how do you advise a professional to discover what it is that it is of interest and concern Mm -hmm. to the people that he or she serves we always look at sort of multiple layers of customers. So, you know, for the the provider, customers are patients. But internally, let's say if if they either have, you know, a, a, an appointee internally, whether it's office manager or records manager or whatever that is the, the go-to data person, then the customer of that data person is everybody else in the practice. So the first step is figuring out what data do we have, what insights will make life easier, and what insights will help us grow. And more than likely, there are two or three different systems. There's patient records, there's your marketing, there's the the appointment, you know, reminder system. There's all kinds of different systems that work together or that probably don't work together. Yeah. And one of the keys there is, is how do we get all of those to work together without disrupting current practices? So usually in the cases where I've worked with doctor's offices, it's a matter of how do we get the data out of our existing systems, put it all together in one place, and then draw our insights from that one place? So I can get, for example, my data from my appointment reminder system. You know, what is my likelihood of no-shows? 
if there's a certain case type coming from my patient record system, combine that with my appointment system that says whether they responded or not. And then maybe I'm also pulling in, you know, what zip code they're in, how far they are from the office, that sort of thing. And there we start sort of connecting breadcrumbs across different systems and making real insights for, hey, this means this person's probably not going to show up based on past history. Do we want to overbook? Do we want to go get ahead of it? Like it doesn't change. It, it, it shouldn't change practice in that, you know, you're going, well, you know, don't worry about them. No, it's not like that. It's more of, okay, this could probably go one of maybe three different ways. How do we respond? How do we set ourselves up so we can respond to each of those quickly as opposed to scrambling or being surprised when something happens? Absolutely. And in a way, a lot of doctors are a little bit behind um, other business you know, personnel. For instance, mm-hmm. every time I make an appointment for the dog groomer for, for my little furball, when the appointment is coming up in two or three days, text comes across my phone saying, uh, you have this appointment, mm-hmm. please, please respond. Mm-hmm. Yes, for your coming, C for cancel or reschedule. And they depend on you responding. And if That's they right. send that out two or three times and you don't respond, they the office just assumes you are not coming. That's right. And, you know, a lot of doctors don't have that, but it seems that if my nail place can do it and the dog groomer can do it, certainly the physicians can do it. And it would make the running of the office really that much more efficient. It would. One of the things that I saw a lot is, you know, doctor or the, 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 the practice heads are saying, we need more customers. We need more clients. Office managers are saying, whoa, 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 before we pile any more stress on this system with more people, we need to get a handle on making the operation run more smoothly, because if we add more people to it, it's going to break. And then you start looking at, well, what is running well? And then, okay, instead of broad brushing this and saying we want more clients, we want more patients, let's actually look at current operations and understand what type of patients do we want more of that exactly. bring us the better revenue. Exactly. You don't actually need a ton more patients. What you need is better patients or higher exactly. quality patients. And that. And there's that, that answers two questions we we talked about a little bit earlier. One, people seeing different data or people seeing data differently. You know, one person sees we need more patients. The other person sees, whoa, 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 no, we need more of a certain type of patient. And there's the other question, which is, well, how do you grow? Well, you don't just broad brush it. You don't say come one, come all. You go, okay. We've been in business for X number of years. What, depending on the practice we have, say, for example, well, chiropractic's easy because chiropractic, you can you can kind of differentiate between, say, the, the self-pay versus Medicare versus major health insurance. And, you know, a lot of them have moved to concierge type practice. And so doctors, too, my, my, my PI is a concierge doctor because the data has shown that 
why would I put so much money into insurance over or so much time into insurance overhead for so little payback when I can do self-pay and, you know, make way more profit for my time for that? Absolutely. You know, when concierge services and transitioning to it first came out, there were many people who feared doing that because they, although it was an attractive thing to do, they feared that they would lose their patients mm-hmm. to the guy down the road that would accept their insurance. And they said, well, you know, if I if I do that and I lose my patients, you know, I've lost my revenue. Instead of looking at you know, like the flip side and the positives, But I think now that medicine is such that you get three minutes quality FaceTime and you get a recording on the phone, which slays me because this would have never happened when I had my practice, which was, uh, well, leave a message and we'll get back to you in 48 to 72 hours. And whenever I hear that, I go, what, what? (laughs) Not like in 10 minutes, not in 20 minutes, not even like later today. I have to wait like three hours. I could be sprawled out on the kitchen floor in three days. So I think that these practices that are now going on is really great incentive for patients to say, listen, I will pay a concierge doctor so that I get the attention and the response in a timely fashion that I want. Absolutely right. And I, I mean, that, that was me. I, I did that and I went to a health savings account and a high deductible plan because I like being able to talk with my doctor and text him and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not abusing it, but to me, it's like, okay, the one time I need you, I do not want to have to go through an IVR and press O for somebody and all that stuff. One of the greatest thing, I, I still love the fact that I was able to do this with a, with a clinic. It was a, it was actually um, a, a two doctor clinic and same story with the data figuring out, okay, do we want kind of come one, come all, or do we want to be targeted? And we figured out that just by combining the different systems that they had in place into one sort of data warehouse, the source of truth that we could then extract insights from, we, we started looking at patterns of behavior over a year and figured out that for the time that they were spending on insurance overhead, they could flip the practice. They would lose about half of their clients if all of them went, if all of the ones that were doing insurance left, if they just went with the self-pay, right? But they'd still be making more money. But they would still be making more money. And the time that they had, let's say they lost their, their, their half their patients. We estimated by amount of time they spent with each client because we had those metrics, we had enough metrics to figure out you could build back your client base and get to full capacity in three months. So not only are you making more money with half the people, but you can bring, you can fill out the other half with with more profitable patients and give them a better service. And none of that would have been possible if we had not started looking at the data. We would have hunches but we wouldn't have the numbers to prove it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's like the old adage, you know, you have to open your hand and let go of what you're clenching Mm -hmm. in in order to receive. 
And the fear, that clinching was that, well, we're going to, if you, if you tell somebody you're going to lose half your patients and you just stop there, they're going to, of course, they're going to freak out, but there's more to that story. And we were able to, to show the rest of the story with the data and say, okay, hear me out. Yes, you're going to lose half your patients, worst case scenario, but here's how things are, the numbers are going to get better for you. Even worst case scenario, you're still going to be making a lot more and putting a lot less time in the overhead for getting paid 10 to 30 cents on the dollar for what you throw out there. Well, our listeners who have just heard this are probably saying in their mind at this point, I want that. I want some of that. Like, where's my head been? You know, I need this guy. So how can people who are listening reach you? Website is logical, L-O-G-I-C-L-E dot U-S. And my direct email is Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at logical.us, L-O-G-I-C-L-E dot U-S. And we, like, I, I, I teach, I've got sort of one foot in academia and one foot in, in business because I, I think the intersection of data and industry is the one place where, or one of the places where research and new innovation has to be right there with serving customers. And I love working with business owners and having the same sort of light bulbs turn on above their heads that my students do when I, when I do adjunct work. I don't, want, I don't want you to get a degree in data science with me, but I at least want you to understand a little bit about why we're doing what we're doing. And to me, that, that's a much better journey than just a transaction, you know? What is one helpful tip that you can give our listeners now to implement right away? Make sure if you are doing social media marketing that you have some way of getting metrics on responses. Don't just throw stuff out there. If you have a link somewhere, if you put a link to your website somewhere, be sure that you have UTM parameters on there. And all that is, is a question mark. And then it usually says UTM medium, UTM source. If you ever see that from a link you follow, that means that whoever put that out there is wanting to know how you got back to that website. You need to do the same thing. Because again, putting it out there and not having a way for it to track back is just shouting into the wind. I think that that is excellent advice. And I have one last question for you today. Mm-hmm. Since you say that analytics is most, you know, analyzing human behavior and behavior, I was wondering if you are able to use that on your preteen. Oh boy. Yeah, she just turned 11. And you're in trouble already. I'm in trouble already. Boy, Lily is, she's a mini me for sure, but in a lot of ways, yeah, in a lot of ways. And, you know, I don't know. She's definitely, I I was an English major. She's very artistic and I don't, I don't think yet she's got any penchant for any sort of data science stuff, which is fine with me. I I want her to go her own way. No, I was just wondering if you could use the data to her behavior. I thought one thing I've learned as a parent so far is 
No. If I, even if I collect <laughs> 11 years of data, I have no idea what's going to happen next because that's the way kids are. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you here today. Thank you for having me. This has been another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors with your host, Dr. Barbara Hales. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Marketing Tips for Doctors. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Press the subscribe button so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about the show. Join us on marketingtipsfordoctors.com for replays and more resources to help grow your practice, strengthen your brand, and dominate your field. Remember, you are one tweet from greatness. Greatness.